0: Strange Familiars. If you've seen something strange, a cryptid like Bigfoot or a ghost, a UFO, anything paranormal, and you want to tell us your story, you can email us Strange at gmail.com. If you have a shorter story, a great way to get us your story is to leave us a voicemail at 717 347 8554. You can call and leave your message. If you get cut off, you can call back and finish. Right now we're backed up on interviews, so that is the quickest way to get us your story. Again, that's 717-347-8554. Tonight we're going to be talking with Tobias Wayland about his book, The Lake Michigan Mothman, High Strangeness in the Midwest. This is about a series of sightings of winged humanoids that have been seen around the Chicago and Lake Michigan area. Before we talk to Tobias, I wanted to mention a few things. If you have been watching Hellier, season two, the final episode has my music all throughout the episode. It comes from my Wilderness Geist album. I was super happy to see it featured in Hellier, super happy to be a part of it, and uh, it was a really special thing for me, really exciting to watch the episode and hear my music. I mentioned last episode that I did a special edition. Of the wilderness guy CD with a bonus CD, a gifting coin to trade with the other, and a little hex booklet, a collection of charms and spells, including things to protect yourself from goblins. So, hell, you're related. I made 100 of these, and I kept a few back to make sure I'd be able to fill all the orders because we the orders came in very quickly. We sold about 100 in maybe three days, but I do have a few left, and I've put them up at our Etsy shop, which you can find the link in the show notes, and at the Stonebreath Bandcamp. That's stonebreath.bandcamp.com. If you look under Merch, you will see the Wilderness Geist bag. I think at this time, there's about eight left. If you wanted to get one and you didn't get one before, I held back some extra copies so you can pick them up now at either place. If you order from Bandcamp, you do get a digital download of the original Wilderness Geist album. Again, that's stonebreath.bandcamp.com, and that link is in the show notes as well of every episode. Before we talk with Tobias Wayland, I want to thank our patrons. Without our patrons, Strange Familiars would not be possible. Thank you, patrons. Thanks for all you do. If you'd like to help us continue to make Strange Familiars and get bonus content as well, you could become a patron at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. There are many different levels of support there, where you can get copies of my books and Strange Familiars t-shirts, buttons, patches, and more. You can check it out at patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. But for just $3 a month, you can support the show and get extra content besides. We do one full extra episode of Strange Familiars every month. Often we do more than that. You can check it all out again at Patreon patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. If you don't like the idea of a recurring subscription like Patreon, you can help with a one-time PayPal donation. If you go to the show notes at strangefamiliars.com under every episode, there's a paypal.me link, and you can use that to make a one-time donation. Everyone can help by sharing the show on social media, by liking and subscribing wherever you're listening to Strange Familiars, and by leaving us those nice five-star reviews, which helps get the show in front of new potential listeners. So, now let's go to my talk with Tobias Wayland about the Lake Michigan Mothman. Tonight, we're talking with Tobias Wayland, who has written a book called The Lake Michigan Mothman. We'll be talking to him about Mothman and some other strangeness. How you doing tonight, Tobias? Uh, great, Timothy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Now, of course, uh, we know each other because we're both a part of the Phantoms and Monsters 4 investigation team, which uh, has had some insight to these sightings before. So I, I have some background information, but uh, you were really sort of the point man for most of these investigations.
1: Uh, well, yeah, actually, um. I was pretty privileged, I think, to be in a position to investigate these, you know, fairly intimately. You know, Emily and I just live up in in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. So we're maybe two, two and a half hours north of Chicago. Uh, and so especially for those sightings that were in the more liminal spaces, you know, on, on the edge of, of the, the city and then uh even further north in uh in in wisconsin and the, the southeastern part of this state uh we were uh we were really in a position to be able to go and um and meet people and uh and, and investigate those uh personally you know actually go to the uh location which you know there's just no substitute for so it was it, it was really great you know obviously lawn was, um, and I'm talking about Lon Strickler here for anybody who who doesn't know the author and investigator behind Phantoms and Monsters. And um, so, you know, Lon was really uh, collecting most of these reports, uh, especially at first. Uh, You know, I would say it was split pretty evenly between uh, Lon and uh, Manuel Navarette over at UFO Clearinghouse. And so often they would collect reports, and, and Lon especially, you know, living in Pennsylvania, really wasn't in any position to go uh, investigate these sightings firsthand. Uh, but what he did do was a really excellent job of collecting them all. Uh, you know, Lon has uh, a well-oiled machine uh, set up to collect these reports, and he, he does a really good job of, of interviewing people. You know, he's very personable. He knows how to approach witnesses. And so, you know, he would often collect these uh, these sighting reports and then, um, you know, he would put me in touch with with witnesses and, uh, you know, and I would be able uh, to go and speak with them or if if nothing else, talk to them over the phone and uh, sort of confirm the details of their sightings and, um, you know, head down to the actual sighting location, because I think what a lot of people don't understand uh, is so much of paranormal investigation isn't it's not particularly sexy, you know, it's uh, it really is. It, it's a lot of, you know, driving really long distances uh, to spend, you know, 30 minutes taking photographs of a place that you could drive by and you wouldn't look at twice because it's literally just like a field or something. And so, you know, that was that was a lot of the the kind of stuff that that uh, Emily and, and I would do for Manuel's part. Now he actually does live in Chicago, and so when the reports started to come in quite heavily in in 2017, he um, he was able to do a good amount of of hands-on investigation in the uh, the, the the metropolitan area there, and um, and and that was very very useful. Uh, you know, it was, it was nice having somebody there at that time because I started out in this investigation, approaching it journalistically sort of the, the beginning, like the, 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 the very advent of, of the, the, the modern sighting flat in uh, spring of 2017. um, I wasn't as active in the investigation as, as, as I would come to be because I didn't even know any of these guys actually. So I guess just to, to, to back up, you know to 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 give people some context in the in the spring of 2017, uh, you know, I was I was writing for the the Singular 40 Society, which is uh, uh, the organization that my my wife Emily and I set up, and um, I had seen these three sighting reports uh, come through the MUFON CMS database, and so uh, they were interesting. Uh, they all described either a, a giant a bat-like creature or a, a, a owl-like you know humanoid creature or something that, that people were seeing in in chicago like in the middle of the damn city like in chicago and and obviously that's fascinating to, to any any fortian uh, minded individual and so you know I, I i wrote an article about it and um and Mufon. Didn't really have a lot of details. They were never really able to to follow up on these sightings particularly well. You know, I spoke to the Illinois State Director of MUFON, and I mean, they they really didn't have much luck, you know, uh, in investigating them in, in any real meaningful way. And so, you know, if if that had been it, I probably would have written the one article. Uh, you know, it, it, it would have been a, a fun afternoon and that just would have been the end of it. You know, I would have put it in the shrug file and forgot about it. But, you know, it wasn't too long after that, that these reports just started flooding in. You know, uh, Lon cover, uh, covered it for uh, Phantoms and, and Monsters and Manuel, you know, covered it for for UFO Clearinghouse. And the next, uh, the, the, uh, next thing that these guys knew, like they were getting tons of these these flying humanoid sightings, and so you know i I noticed them coming through you know their their websites and this was a a story I had uh, decided to to follow and so i uh, I ended up contacting them both individually to uh, to to interview them about well sort of their experience collecting these reports and 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 just sort of seeing what was behind it and and sort of what. They had been doing to investigate and and, and that manner of of uh, inquiry. And so I was pretty immediately impressed by them both, actually, Um, because, again, at at, at this time, you know, in spring of 2017, like these guys were basically total strangers. I, I didn't know anything about them. And uh, we've we've worked together fairly closely since then, um, you know, and I, I I would count us all as uh, as friends at this point. But sure. uh, but back then, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't I didn't know these guys from Adam. And so, you know, I was pretty, like I said, immediately impressed by uh, by the level and, and depth of investigation that that uh, had occurred, you know, all, all already. And we're talking. You know, I, I had interviewed them over the, the summer of 2017. So at, at this time, you know, we were maybe, uh, boy, a dozen reports in or so. Um, you know, this was uh, several months of, of fairly steady reports coming into them.
0: Yeah. And so, it wasn't, so before oh, before we, we, we move on, I think mm-hmm. let's just take a step back eight minutes into the interview already. And sort of (laughs) lay it out for people, because a lot of people might not be super familiar with this. Um, We are, because we, you know, we're kind of in the middle of it. So what happened is these these winged humanoid sightings started popping up Mm -hmm. around Chicago, starting in 2017. And, let's see, MUFON collected some reports, Long collected some reports. Again, this is all stuff you've gone over, but I just want to lay it out for people. Oh, of course. And we started getting um, a lot of reports. Uh, mostly through Lon and like you said through um, what's Manuel's um, uh, UFO Clearinghouse? Yes, and and through UFO Clearinghouse, mm-hmm. and you started going around and and meeting and investigating where you could, as well as you know Manuel was as well, and the, the rest of the team is kind of we're kind of sitting back here, you know we're a appri- being kept apprised of what's going on, but I you know obviously I'm in Pennsylvania as well, I can't easily run out there. Butch and I had talked about going up there for a weekend poke around but it just you know we just couldn't make it work with our schedules and so forth so we're talking about a flap of sightings here that is as far as my experience goes and i I asked lon if this was his experience too and he said he he believes it was so the most Mm -hmm. concentrated flap of sightings as far as number and and uh geographical area that that we've ever experienced so we don't know you know there was no internet during the the point pleasant mothman flap in the 60s so maybe if maybe if they had an internet more people would have reported and it would have been just as concentrated and there would have been just as many sightings back then we, we don't know we don't know we can only guess but as far as what we know what what we've experienced and and lon is certainly he's done this for i don't know how many however many decades you know i've done this for a while and that it was very interesting to me because i said lon at some point i just said is this the most concentrated group of sightings that that you've ever experienced and and he I think he thought for a minute and he said yeah I think it is I think this is this is a really really concentrated group of sightings so it becomes really really interesting in the number of sightings the number of witnesses and the geographic area it's fairly concentrated
1: I would say that the current distribution of of sightings um, on the surface level definitely reflects that but my personal opinion is as this investigation continues there there's mounting evidence to show i think that these flying humanoid reports like these 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 mothman sightings uh as it were now they are heavily uh uh, localized around the the chicago area but as it 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 continues the longer the the longer this goes on the more historical sighting reports we've received and the more uh sighting uh, reports we've received from from everywhere around lake michigan so uh you know uh, at 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 this point we've got sighting reports from illinois obviously but also um you know a significant number in wisconsin uh indiana and uh even a, a, a handful from michigan although that has been the the state that has reported the the least right now but i guess my my point is when it comes to these these sightings certainly we're getting the most reports from chicago in my opinion we're also getting the okay the the majority of the least credible reports also come from chicago and the further you get away from that that uh, metropolitan area the better the reports are uh at mm-hmm. least in 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 my estimation um at as an example like i i think that there's a pretty good chance a sizable percentage of the sightings uh in the uh chicago you know downtown area like the 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 real urban metropolitan area uh, could likely be misidentified birds, and and there's a specific profile of 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 sighting that uh, that I, I, I think matches that. So without you know having to go through and explain you know 50 separate like literally 50 separate sightings, um, there is a, a a certain profile of of these sightings wherein the witness will describe seeing something big flying at some distance away during normal daylight hours and they don't really get a good look at it they only see its 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 silhouette and certainly it's something that they they don't recognize but it's generally lacking in any of the the more unusual elements that we would normally see in in what i would consider the the more paranormal sightings so by that i mean you know uh, it's it's really lacking any elements of high strangeness. So in these these uh, likely large bird uh, scenario sightings, you know, um, you know, people don't feel the overwhelming sense of fear that is often associated with these sightings. You know, there there's no associated UFO activity or or uh, you know later psychic phenomena or just any, anything paranormal to, to to go along with this, this this sighting and i i i have uh, collected a pretty good amount of uh, uh, circumstantial evidence to to point towards that being a, a a real possibility for a lot of the actual chicago sightings and i would put it at about probably in my estimation roughly 50 percent of what came out of uh, uh chicago directly I think has a pretty good chance of being a a misidentified large bird. And there's one case in particular that will always stick out to me because it was the one case where we had hard evidence that a a perfectly honest guy had come forward with a sighting of something he couldn't explain that absolutely 100% uh, was a, a misidentified large bird probably a great blue heron i would guess just from uh the the evidence we have uh, this was from the pilsen neighborhood in chicago and so this guy was bicycling to work and uh, he noticed this couple on the street corner and it was a man and a woman and the man was pointing up in the sky and uh, so naturally you know he wanted to see what they're looking at he looks up and he sees what he described to me, uh, first to Lon and then to me, uh, we, we, we both spoke to him as either a person in a wingsuit or a, a giant bat or something similar to that. Mm-hmm. And um, he was authentic to his experience. I, I believe that because I spoke to him personally. And, and so I really think that in that moment, that's what he thought he saw. And luckily for all of us, you know, since he was bicycling, he had a GoPro camera attached to his bicycle helmet. And he, uh, you know, God's bless him, decided that he was going to follow this thing around and try to get as much footage of it as he could. So he could take it, you know, to somebody. Right. So, so we could try to figure out what, what the, the heck it was. And so, uh, he ends up sending us this video and we were able to get some, some good stills out of it. And, we were able to blow him up, got him cleaned up, looked at him, and it was a bird. It was clearly some kind of, of, of large bird, and it just is what it is. And again, by its silhouette, I would guess great blue heron. Right. And I don't want to bore people with a lot of talk about birds and stuff, but the fact is there, there's a lot of reasons, just normal scientific reasons, why people are seeing more herons in Chicago than they would have been even five years ago. Mm -hmm. Frankly,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but the fact is, you know, that only accounts for like 50 percent or so of these sightings.
0: Right. And this becomes a problem with the sort of debunking, you know, capital S skeptic, because Mm -hmm. they can say one report or two reports or even 50 percent of the reports were birds. Well, then they'll just write them all off as birds. Of course, they're just birds. Yeah.
1: Which is very frustrating but yes. you know of course yes. we have to be uh honest and and at the end of the day i'll never insult you know my 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 readers like especially with the uh trying to 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 cover things as as openly as 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 honestly as uh as as possible you know i i decided very early on i was never going to insult the intelligence of our our readers by you know having to to spoon feed them stuff and so I am trusting in the fact, and I haven't been disappointed, you know, so I, I, I think this was the, the, the right way to go, but I'm trusting in the fact that the discerning reader, you know, uh, uh, in, anybody of a, 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 any sort of intellectual capacity is going to be able to see that just because some of these were likely misidentified large birds, you know, doesn't mean that, that, that they all necessarily were. And actually, on top of that, If we want to get weird with it again, there is a weird aspect to the the misidentified uh, large bird sightings. I mean, it never made a lot of sense to me to have these people come forward with these uh, authentic experiences. Because, again, I I think these people weren't trying to pass off large birds as as something weird. You know, I, I think that they had seen something that they couldn't explain. Right. And for whatever reason... They had interpreted it a particular way, and again, for whatever reason, that particular way happened to be more often than not as a giant bat or as a humanoid figure with uh, bat-like uh, uh, wings, and that's really weird because I get people misidentifying these these large bird species when they're you know suddenly in in urban areas. And people aren't necessarily used to seeing them in these kinds of numbers. Uh, But what I don't get is people consistently misidentifying them in the same way that just happens to fit with this investigation that we're already conducting. Mm -hmm. And people weren't misidentifying them as this before. And they really haven't been in the same kind of numbers since. And they also really haven't been in many other places where, you know, you, you, you might expect them to. And so in my speculative mind at this point, I have to wonder why, you know, what is, is it possible that there's some other mechanism at, at, at work here? Something uh, manipulating people into misidentifying something a, a particular way. Frankly,
0: this is um, this is an idea that I have played with myself and it, and it drives some other researchers crazy mm-hmm. because well, this gets into the the whole sort of trickster element of the paranormal mm-hmm. and, and the why. But, uh, you know, I was I was on I think it was on Where Did the Road Go one time and we were talking about someone who misidentified uh, a bear as as a Bigfoot. And, you know, we went through the whole thing, you know, it was all misidentified, blah, blah. blah. It was just a bear, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I posited the idea. I said, well, maybe for this person, I believe it was a woman. I said, maybe for this woman at the time she saw it, maybe it wasn't a bear, you know, maybe she, for whatever reason, she genuinely saw something else. And of course it, it drives everyone crazy because at that point, you know, we've opened up so many weird possibilities, but it is an idea that's, very interesting to me and when i read it i, I believe you kind of go over that in the epilogue to your book a little bit and mm-hmm. when, when i read your thought on that i'm like it kind of struck a bell with me i'm like yeah you know sometimes i wonder with this stuff sometimes i really wonder because th- the truth is most people can tell the difference between a bear and something that walks upright like a man i mean it, it's it's really true and and a lot of people will say well I, you know people can't tell a, a bear from, from from this and that. Well, yeah, most people can. And most people can tell something with broad shoulders that has arms versus a bear that, you know, that does not have broad shoulders and, and they walk differently and so forth. And most people could tell the difference between, you know, if they saw a big bird, they would tell you, I saw a big unusual bird, right? They wouldn't right. say, I saw a big bat or a big Batman or a big, you know, however they're describing it. So it's just a very, very odd thing. It's a very odd detail, and it's very, very interesting.
1: It really is. And, you know, sort of uh, similarly, I, I've, I've been really struggling with it because, again, it was this just strange aspect of the investigation that is really sort of localized in this one specific area and and also in this one specific time, you know, mm-hmm. in the, the, the sort of summer or spring uh, of uh two thousand and seventeen through you know maybe the 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 summer of of two thousand eighteen. so I mean, I guess maybe somebody could argue that people got used to seeing them i I guess i I, I don't really know, but it always seemed to me like it was just too much of a coincidence for that number of people to be misidentifying something in, in exactly the same weird way. Right. And so, you know, I, I started thinking, well, I mean, why, like, why, why would this happen? Right. Like, why would, why would anything want to make them see things this this particular way? And, and I, I thought honestly at first that, you know, maybe it was some kind of camouflage, you know, maybe, uh, it was well like you said, uh, something put in place to give skeptics something to, to point at to, uh, to just debunk the, the, the whole thing. And so its it sort of creates this this plausible deniability of the entire phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But I thought about it a little bit more and I'm like, well, okay, maybe, but at the same time we're like a hundred reports in and every single time we get a, a misidentification, that just increases the chances of other people seeing that and then reporting their sightings um, because that was a whole big thing, you know, since we have the, the Internet now, which, you know, of course you mentioned earlier, people's ability not only to share their own sightings, but even to become aware that other people are having them. And so to be motivated to share them themselves has increased exponentially
0: Oh, yeah, that's, so, that's why I love having witnesses on the show, because inevitably someone else will hear it and they'll say, well, they told their story, I guess I can tell my story. And, right. Uh, and they'll come on and tell it. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. But, yeah, yeah, it's it's really happening. And, again, you know, I'm I'm able to see when the reports come in, you know, that being part of the group. And uh, they're still going. We're still getting reports.
1: Right. And so – it never made sense to me why, like, assuming, you know, there's some sort of cause, like, like, force cosmic trickster or, or, mm-hmm. or something at, at, at work here, you know, it's got to be smart enough, right, to have the desired outcome, whatever that is, like, whatever's happening must be what it, it wanted to have happen. And so the result of these misidentifications wasn't really ever to, to cast a lot of doubt on it. What it did was shine a huge light on all of the actually weird sightings, because that's what we end up getting. And the more popular uh, the investigation became, the more really credible, weird sightings we, we ended up getting, you know, stretching all the way back into the, the, the late 60s, you know, through... Through November of, of this year, actually.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like and I so, said, they're, they're still coming in. I mean, just because you've written the book doesn't mean the sightings have stopped.
1: Right. Yeah. It, yeah. Exactly. But uh, yeah, so it, you know, the, the the only thing that ever actually ended up making sense to me then was that for what whatever reason, you know, if if we're willing to assume that somehow people were being manipulated into misidentifying these birds as you know this this Lake Michigan Mothman, then because the end result uh, was that we ended up getting a lot more actually really weird credible sightings out of this, then that must have been the whole point for whatever reason if again you know uh, uh, fort's cosmic trickster is 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 out there playing head games with us, it must have wanted that to be the end result I- which, Th- is interesting.
0: I think you have a, a generally more positive way of looking at it than I do. I just see it as just muddying the waters. Like whatever it wants to do, just just let's just muddy the waters with everything. Let's just throw it all in chaos. You know, have misidentified sightings. Have you know enough weirdness that goes on with other sightings, where you know witnesses will be questioned and so forth, and just muddy the waters as much as possible, making it just a completely chaotic mess as far as being able to unravel all the threads, I guess. Oh, sure. And you know, I, and that's just my I, take. Like I I kind of like yours. If there's more of a, <laughs> there's more of a purpose behind it. I mean, you I know.
1: the eternal optimist. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, yeah,
1: no. And, and you know, there, this isn't a hill that I'm willing to die on. Sure. Because, yeah. I mean,
0: we'll be yeah, you know, there. We do, Who knows? Right. Of like, course. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, I mean, maybe I, and again, like I definitely started thinking that the whole point of that was, was just to confuse the hell out of people and and camouflage everything. So
0: mm-hmm. who
1: knows? Maybe. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean it it could be either. I, I mean
1: honestly, I think the important takeaway is if you're willing to at least entertain the idea of something creating these misidentifications, then you know, what vistas of imagination does that open up? Like what like what 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 further inquiries like lines of inquiry can can we make uh based off of of that assumption you know i mean i think it speaks at least to me to uh sort of the idea that so much of this seems to happen sort of on the level of human consciousness mm. you know where it's it's sort of this this direct interaction almost of of, of thought I, I i guess it's 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 difficult to describe in a way because there is an element of, of physicality, certainly. Uh, but also there you know, there's a strong immaterial aspect, you know, that I, I think is very very plastic and uh, and, and and malleable. And I, I think it's shaped seemingly, at, at at least from what I've seen in this investigation, by whatever it is we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and and maybe part of it comes from people's expectations, but I really think the majority of the the agency behind what people are seeing is with the phenomenon it's it's itself, and it certainly seems to interact with people sort of uh, uh, directly on that level of of consciousness. Um, which you know, again, if you choose to be optimistic, could be really cool, or you know, if you watch. Uh, I don't know a lot of like Cronenberg or something could be super terrifying.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, so I mean, it's sort of a, a, a matter of perspective. I, I I think I actually touch on that in in the, the the book too, because one of the things that I was reminded of is is sort of all of the just the the interconnectedness between uh, paranormal phenomena. You mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, where you know one man's ghost light is another man's you know uh, UFO or or will o the wisp or, or or you know wild hunt or or whatever, and so it really got me thinking. You know, so if this is something that interacts with with people sort of on that that level of of consciousness, I mean, like what are what are all of the possibilities here? You know, like like what sort of of weird transhuman vistas even could, could, could be opened. You know, I mean, if, if you think about, I guess sort of, okay, like let's say ghosts, for instance. Now, if somebody is willing to accept that, uh, one of the explanations for, for some ghosts and and hauntings could be that, uh, there is a a surviving, you know, human consciousness, right. Mm -hmm. That is around with, you know, that a physical body, um, for, Uh, through whatever mechanism, then if there are things out there that interact directly with with human consciousness, then how would they necessarily interact with, well, let's say a a human consciousness post-mortem? I mean, people used to think that you know, fairies were the spirits of the the dead. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, what if people actually could become spirit or uh, could could become fairies after they die? What if people could become mothmen? You know, like I I I don't know, but it's so interesting to me to think about sort of this this ecosystem of consciousness, right? Yes. Yeah. Where all of just all of these possibilities. Exist And I think if, if, if we're willing to really explore them, like no matter how weird it gets, because I mean, I, I think a lot of people are very sort of disturbed by anything that sort of challenges their traditional, you know, beliefs about, well, in this case, about like what a, a human even is that, you know, it can be very, I think, unsettling. Mm-hmm. For for people to to consider these these kinds of, of, of possibilities, but again, if if you're willing to accept that uh, you know human beings have consciousness that could potentially uh, you know survive bodily death, then it must exist. It, it it must exist somewhere. And then furthermore, if we're willing to accept that there are seemingly uh, these these beings that are capable of communicating. Directly through consciousness, um, then these things must exist within the same ecosystem. You know.
0: So this sort of dovetails in, into something else I wanted to cover later, but we might as well jump into oh, it okay. now. So you're looking at this in, in the sort of uh, holistic manner, and as regards mm-hmm. to the paranormal, which which I agree with. That's my that's my approach to the paranormal. Let's look at things sure. holistically because. They seem to be somehow connected in in ways that we probably don't fully understand, but but certainly in ways that we can we can draw comparisons between UFO sightings and ghosts accounts and Bigfoot accounts, et cetera, et cetera. There are plenty of plenty of, of you know lines to draw between uh, th- those type of uh, sightings and and experiences. There was during the course of this investigation, it got uh, attacked, and by it I mean the investigation itself. The witnesses, without naming names, from from certain aspects of the community, and I think there were several reasons for this. But one of these reasons, I think, is these are people that really, really, really have invested in in flesh and blood creatures, and yeah. in the idea that you know you're going to find somewhere under a bridge or something a you know a mothman nest you know with with eggs in it or something, <laughs> you know, because these are absolutely real flesh and blood creatures that people are seeing. And some of these same people really, really attacked this investigation to the, and were very vocal about it. To the point where I have heard from several of my colleagues, several people who, I, who I'm great friends with, that, oh, well, the Chicago Mothman sightings, all that stuff, the Lake Michigan Mothman sightings, they were proved to be fake. And, and that's, they'll just say that, and that's that. Because these people were very vocal about it. Now, some of the reasons, I'll say straight out that Lon is very, very protective of his witnesses which i absolutely agree with it's very very difficult to get people to come forward to talk about this stuff and lon as long as i've known him which is a good while now has been fiercely protective of of his witnesses of their identities of their locations et cetera, et cetera. he doesn't share except with the team with the research team he will share with us but in general you know he just doesn't do it he doesn't make that information public and it, i think it frustrates other investigators but you know he and we in general have had some bad experiences by sharing that. People will seek people out and and harass them or contact people who didn't want to be contacted. It's a good policy, I think, on Lon's part not to do that. So I think some of the the frustration came from that. We weren't sharing witnesses. I know there was one instance where a police report was filed and uh people tried to get the police report and couldn't and because they couldn't get the police report they said, Oh, it must have been faked which I've pointed out again and again, I've tried to get many police reports over the years as regards to paranormal stuff, and very, very few times if I've ever gotten that police report. It, the police just—unless we could afford lawyers to make them release them, you know, which we can't, mm-hmm. and the police don't release them, they don't release them. You know, there's, there's nothing we can do about that. If they don't give us the report, they don't give us the report. It doesn't mean it didn't exist and I right. have uh, talked to policemen as well, who said sometimes they just don't file these weird reports because it doesn't look good for them. This is their career, so they're not going to sure. f- they're not going to file a report that says you know I saw Bigfoot cross the road. They're just not going to do it. They're going to you know that's going to go somewhere else because they don't want to be the guy that filed the report on Bigfoot. They think it doesn't look good on the record for whatever reason, you know. And I can understand right. that. So in any case, I do think it's interesting that these attacks came from some of these people who are who are very invested in the idea of flesh and blood creatures. When we're talking about something a little bit more, a little bit stranger, I should say, and yeah. and uh, I don't know if you have any comments on, on that, but it's it is a point I wanted to bring up. <laughs> do I?
1: <laughs> um, no, I have I have a lot of very strong feelings. Obviously, um, I, I do try very hard to be objective. Sure. Um, yeah. I would say that, uh, well, okay, materialism probably played a part. I think you're being very charitable in assuming that it was a materialist scientific uh, uh, approach that was sort of acting as the the, the impetus for, for, you know, certain naysaying when my personal belief is that, you know, the fact is, you know, uh, uh, investigators are, are, are people, they're humans like, like anybody. And not everybody gets into this for the same reason. And I think that what we saw in at least a few cases from, from my perspective was not so much people upset, um, because they, uh, they, they, they were really counting on, on finding, uh, uh, in, Undiscovered species of, of Mothmen out there, but because they weren't allowed to make the investigation about themselves, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and 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 I'm sorry that that might piss some people off, but it's the truth. Because if you care about people, if you got into this because you care about these phenomena and you care about the people experiencing them, then. You have to know if you've ever spoken to an actual witness before, you have to know that they don't want to talk to an endless stream of strangers just to assuage like these people's curiosity. All right. right? You right. know, like Absolutely. they don't want to. And anybody who's who would, who would put these people through that. I think are far more interested in finding celebrity than they are in finding cryptids, frankly. Mm. And, uh, and that was a real turnoff for me. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we, we, we saw it time and time and time again. And, you know, the thing about protecting, you know, witness identities and stuff is, I don't think I can overemphasize it's, it's importance. And, and frankly, you know, Talking specifically about Lon and and, and everybody else uh, in in this investigation, yeah, we were very open about sharing this stuff with each other um, because, of course, we were all working together. And sometimes it's nice to have a, a second, you know, set of ears listening to somebody's uh, testimony and stuff, especially right. if if it seemed the, the more credible something seemed, the more you wanted other people in on that. Uh, you know, sort of verifying the information and 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 everything else. But you know, the number one thing that witnesses have told me in general and also specifically, you know, in in the course of this investigation is that, generally speaking, this is how the like their post sighting experience goes down. Like they have their 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 sighting. Uh, you know, it's paradigm shattering. It's it's a huge deal to them. They go and the one of the first things they want to do is they, they want to tell somebody, and so they you know talk to a loved one or a close friend, uh, and they get laughed at,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, by somebody that they trust intimately. You know, it could be a spouse, it could be a best friend, whatever, and they get laughed at, and they don't tell anybody ever again, until they find somebody like us, just stumble across us, and say, oh hey. Wow, look at all of these other people who have seen something similar to me. uh you know, maybe I can tell these guys right well the yeah. number
0: the number one reason I get like so if I'm at a paranormal convention and mm-hmm. someone'll come up and and I can tell they have a story because they'll pause they'll sit there and they'll and they'll kind of shuffle their feet and they'll wait till other people <laughs> right. leave they'll you know they'll wait till other people leave the table and they'll come up and they'll talk to me and you know, often I'll say, like, hey, you know, do you want to come on the podcast? It's a great story. And the number one reason I'm given as a refusal is I don't want people to think I'm crazy. Yep. That's the number one reason.
1: Absolutely. Um. Well, that's a, that honestly brings up another really good point. You know, sometimes people will ask me, you know, what, what type of person is reporting, you know, these, these sightings. And, I mean... I don't really know what kind of question that is, frankly, mm-hmm. you know, like there isn't a, 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 a type like I sometimes I get a sense where I'm like, I get I, I get where you're going with this and I don't like it. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So but the fact is these witnesses, uh, I mean, they're from every every demographic, frankly, and. All the way across the, the socioeconomic spectrum, and yeah I mean some of these people, beyond the the social stigma and and you know uh, embarrassment or, or, or fear of you know being called crazy or something, there's a decent number of these people who have professional careers, and they're not going to ruin their whole life over a monster sighting exactly frankly exactly. So And and I don't blame them. But, you know, people ask, you know, why don't these people go to the police? You know, why aren't – why isn't this better represented in, like, the mainstream media? Well, people have seen what happens to people who report UFOs and monster sightings and little green men in the freaking media since the 1940s.
0: Oh, since the 1800s, really. Yeah,
1: yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it ruins the witness's life. Like, do you think – Like the people who originally reported, I mean, just as a a few examples, you know, like the the original Flatwood Monsters Mm -hmm. witnesses, Mm -hmm. like they hate talking about it, ruin their life. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that might be a little hyperbolic, but they regret talking about it. It it had a huge negative influence in their life. You know, it was the same thing, uh, you know, with like uh, Kelly Hopkinsville so many of, of these sightings all the way up through like the the 1970s early 80s and the last i think big name i can think of is probably whitley Strieber. and i think after that you see kind of a big drop off like there are still some people who will come forward and you certainly get like con artists and stuff that that, that try to become known for certain experiences and stuff but There's a huge drop off in people willing to talk about this stuff publicly and and certainly be in like a national media spotlight, you know, sometime in the the like 1980s. And I think people wised up, you know, I think that they saw that one there's nothing the police are going to be able to do for me. They've never helped anybody with any of this stuff, because what are they going to do like no crimes being committed? You know, they're going to show up. There's not a monster there. They they move on. And now your name's on a public record that anybody can find. And the media will. And they'll come hound you. And the next thing you know, you're the laughingstock of your town. Uh, your career, if you had one, is, is done, is dead. You might have to move.
0: Right. You right. know,
1: like... Everybody knows that narrative. Even if you're not involved with the paranormal whatsoever, you're familiar with that specific narrative. And nobody wants to be involved with it. And who could blame them, honestly?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So, yeah, witness privacy is, it's it's a big deal. And and anybody who doesn't understand that, like I said, they are in this for the wrong reasons. I've certainly never had any problem uh, as far as, you know, keeping people anonymous and i think that what we can do as investigators to combat that the best thing we can do is is be credible ourselves honestly you know we have to lend our witnesses our credibility which is why it's so important to me to be so you know as open and honest and ethical in every aspect of every investigation that i'm a part of as 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 i possibly can be Because at the end of the day, to protect these people, I'm willing to say, look, you know, like this person is going to be anonymous because they have to they want to protect themselves. They want to protect their personal life. But you guys know how I do this. You know, like you're familiar with how I investigate. Like you can fact check everything that I'm going to put out there. And I'm willing to put my credibility on the line for these people. So, you know, anybody can go through anything I've ever written and, and point at something. And if they find a lie, uh, well, let's just say good luck finding, you know, anything you could point at and say, you know, that is like, that's, that's simply not true.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, and, 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 and I think, well, like I said, I I think that's the best possible way we, we can, we can help these people, you know, it's, it's. It's just lending credibility. Right.
0: To conclude, I just wanted to sort of, if you've heard like, oh, you know, it's been debunked or all that, um, that's one agenda that's out there, and it's put out by people who weren't doing the investigation, quite honestly. That's the end of what I'll say about that. You know, unless you were on the ground doing the investigation, you really don't know. And Tobias, you were. So there's that. Yeah, uh,
1: I couldn't have said it better myself.
0: Now, speaking of, like, we talked a little bit about birds. Did you run into anything else, like, mundane explanations for these, like, you know, drones or people in wingsuits, things like that? Um, no, actually. You
1: know, I, when we first started out, you know, I, I actually fully expected to find some evidence of somebody, you know, at least hoaxing something with, like, a, well, a, a drone, for instance, would have been a, a perfectly reasonable candidate, I think. But we never found any, any evidence of it, frankly. I couldn't say with 100% certainty that nobody ever did. Sure. But I can say that the reports we received with the maneuvers described in the areas in which they took place, I strongly believe disallow something like, well, a person in a wingsuit, for instance, like they would have been fishing these people out of the Chicago River, (laughs) uh, like frankly. Yeah, yeah. And um, in drones also, I mean, drones are pretty cool. They can do a lot of neat stuff. But again, like the kinds of of maneuvers that people were describing, you know, the, the swooping low to the ground underneath bridges and things... It really seemed like whatever it was and, you know, maybe some of it was birds, like I said, but whatever it was, it was capable of doing things that those two particular things uh, wouldn't have been able to do, at least not consistently and certainly not so consistently that, you know, after dozens and dozens of these uh, sightings, you know, we wouldn't have found more evidence. Um, You know, somebody would have... Crashed a drone into the side of a building, or or something, or or at least somebody would have actually spotted it as a drone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I, I I just never found anything anything to support either of those. And frankly, I, I never really found anything to support any explanation other than you know misidentified large birds and you know then the obvious uh, weird paranormal stuff. You know, you mentioned the. Uh, Auburn Gresham police report incident, you know, okay. and mm-hmm. yeah, I was one of those people. Like I, I contacted the, the, like that particular, uh, police, uh, uh, precinct in Chicago trying to get that, that report. And like, they didn't even respond to me. It wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't even that, like, they told me that no such report existed. They just ignored me.
0: Exactly. That, and you that's, know, I, that's what I found most of the time when I go after Bigfoot reports that people told me the police took down the report. UFO reports, uh, other anomalous reports, time and again, that's mo- most often the case. They just don't respond.
1: Yeah, well, there was, in in this investigation, there, there was one helpful police agency, uh, which was in McHenry County, actually. The McHenry County Sheriff's Department did provide me with an incident detail report showing that a, a resident there called nine one one to report a a, a monster. Frankly, um, and yeah, that like that was the one, like the one piece of of verifiable uh, uh, evidence coming from an actual police agency that I was able to to to, to ever gather. But mm-hmm. uh, back to my, my my other point, I guess is, look for somebody to say. That you know, Auburn Gresham has to be a hoax is no better than somebody saying Auburn Gresham has to be a uh, uh, paranormal or, or has to be an alien or has to be an undiscovered animal. The fact is the real fact is the evidence that we have doesn't allow us to make any determination. Right. It just doesn't. And anybody who is saying otherwise is being dishonest, frankly. And I have found that that kind of dishonesty seems to be so much more palatable for some reason, not to me, but to to other people, so much more palatable when it's coming in service of materialism mm-hmm. than yes. you know, when it's 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 for, for any other cause. And it's really been frustrating throughout this investigation. Like, look, if we could find evidence, not, not even proof, just evidence that that this had actually been hoaxed, uh, you know, like Auburn Gresham specifically, because it's that's really the only one that I think even, you know, is in the realm of, of me considering that if, if we found evidence of that, then, then that would, that would be great. Then, you know, we could look at that evidence and go, Oh, okay. Wow. So look at this evidence we have that maybe this thing was hoaxed or whatever, but it doesn't exist. And so all of these people, you know, want to come out and say, Oh, well that was obviously hoaxed. Um, because you know, reasons, but, um, it's always struck me as very disingenuous, you know, mm-hmm. like the people saying stuff like that, they're not stupid, you know, like they have to know better. It always struck me that they have to be capable of rational thought enough to understand that that what they're saying isn't logically consistent, you know. But um, it, it
0: serves their... It serves their agenda. Yeah, it serves their agenda because... Which may be as simple as, you know, if you guys won't let me play, then then I'm going to ruin your game, you know? Absolutely. I, I, the, it, so, you know, who can say? Who can say? Yeah, but, no, but,
1: I, I, I think that you're probably right about that, un- unfortunately. It's, you know, I don't cover that a lot in the book. Um, you know, I, I, I very pointedly say, you know, that at, 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 at one point, I think I spent maybe two or three sentences on it, and I... I and, and that's enough, you know, mm-hmm, honestly, sure. frankly, like we've we, we've probably talked about it more right here, you know, than than I mentioned it in in, in, in the actual book, because it's just so not helpful. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it has nothing to do with anything. And if everybody could just ignore, you know, people doing it, then then that would be great. You know, it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of outside of the purview of this work anyway.
0: Right, right. So as you're doing this investigation, can you, you know, just sort of sort of wet the appetite of of the listeners? And, you know, we we love all things paranormal here. Can you describe maybe a couple of the most compelling, weirdest, your favorite, whatever it is, whatever the sightings are that stood out the most for you?
1: Sure. So there are a couple that I have in mind, actually, and they are sort of tangentially related by proximity and, and sort of general, uh, citing details. So I spoke to this, uh, wonderful, uh, lady named Paula. This uh, would have been earlier this year, actually. And she told me about how, uh, and she actually, now she agreed to let me use her, her, her first name. That was her idea. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but anyway, yeah, Paula was, uh, perfectly uh, wonderful woman and she told me about how in uh, 2014 she was living in Wakanda Illinois and so you know that's several dozen miles west of of uh, Lake Michigan it's sort of the you know in the outer suburbs of the the Chicago area there and she was sitting near a window in the the, the bedroom of her ground level apartment and uh and and she looks outside and she sees this bright beam of light come shooting down across the street this is about at like 11 p.m and so she sees this light uh which she said lasted between 15 and 20 seconds uh comes down it's this orangish uh orangish gold color and interestingly this light, when it comes down, it seems unusually solid. Like, it's not illuminating its surroundings like you would expect, say, a, a spotlight to do, right? Right. And it doesn't really move much. Uh, it just makes a sort of, like, slight side-to-side, you know, back-to-forth motion. And then it it retracts up into the sky. And so when I say retract, I don't mean disappeared. I mean, if you picture, like a, like, one of those collapsible cups... Mm -hmm. you know it like literally just retracted up into the the, the sky and so she sees it go up and then it shoots back down and at that point the, the the first thing she thinks is you know oh my god like this thing saw me you know like she just described this this deep feeling uh of whatever this thing was being aware of her and so like she falls back onto her bed in shock but it just retracts back up into the sky and and was gone and so you know I sort of asked her my my usual questions for for that kind of experience and you know she didn't have any missing time um there's no unusual physical maladies or, or 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 anything else to to indicate that she'd had any more contact than than what she had described there until two years later and uh and actually two years exactly to the day she was she was outside and this time it was about 6 a.m. and uh and, and this was in in april so it wasn't completely dark you know sort of early early morning gloom really and uh she's taking the, the the garbage out and she sees something across the street um something just sort of draws her eye and so she looks up and she sees this huge winged being and she described it to me as Uh, roughly seven to eight feet tall. Um, Well, seven to eight feet tall if it was standing completely upright. But it it, it was carrying itself hunched over and sort of limping along. And she she said it was completely black. And from what she could see, uh, its upper body and head were were covered in hair. And uh, and this thing had these long leathery wings, which it had uh, partially wrapped around its body. And it was moving towards her. But it wasn't moving... Uh, you know walking or flying or anything she described it as as jumping forward uh similarly uh to watching someone move through a strobe light and and as it moved forward uh, as it moved forward, it was making these these strange uh unnatural uh groaning noises and and she described feeling this uh, uh palpable sense of evil coming off of this thing and uh and 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 literally told me uh, that she remembers still thinking you know this is evil i'm seeing evil as this thing comes towards her and you know so she's terrified and she she turns around to flee back into her apartment and after fumbling with her keys for a moment like she gets the door open And she turns around, and and she's sure that that this thing is going to be right behind her. You know, it's it's, it's going to be breathing down her neck. And she turns around, and it's gone, just disappeared. And that, you know, that uh, that one stuck with me.
0: Yeah, frankly, that's
1: pretty intense. Just down the road from there, in Woodstock, Illinois. Uh, was probably one of the, if not the most interesting sort of mini flap within like this larger phenomenon. And that started out about a month before uh, uh, Paula got in touch with me. Now, this guy originally went to Lon. Like this This witness wrote Lon. Um, actually, the, the original email came from this guy's wife. And, uh, and, and she wrote Lon. And um, and and described his experience. So unlike Paula's uh, uh, experiences that took place, you know, in 2014 and 2016, respectively, uh, this guy's sighting was actually February of this year. So uh, this would have been February 22nd. And now, one of the hallmarks of these sightings um, is sort of the the uh, mundanity of people's activity, I think, just before experiencing their sighting, right? So like uh, in Paula's, you know, you've got her just, you know, she's just sitting sort of uh, idly in, in in her room and she sees this light outside or she's taking the garbage out and she she sees a monster. Now this guy was just driving home from Walgreens of, of all things, just a perfectly normal, uh, uh, just a, a, a perfectly normal evening at 8 p.m. when... Uh, he sees this thing coming across the uh, road. You know, he's driving in Woodstock, uh, sort of on the way out of town. Woodstock isn't isn't very big. He's driving past the entrance of the uh, Dewfield Pond Natural Area, and so he sees what he described as an eight to f- eight to nine foot tall, dark sort of hairy being again with these large leathery wings, you know, and he said this thing took up about a third of, 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 of the road. Now, again, this was 8 PM, you know, in late February. So it was dark out uh, when, when this happened. And so we caught this thing in his, in his headlights for a few seconds as it crossed the road. And then, you know, before he knew it, it was, it was uh, uh, across the road and, and gone. And, you know, so, Lon had spoken to him first, and and then he got a hold of me and said, "Well, hey, you know, Tobias, like you got to talk to this guy too, and uh, and and hopefully you can get down there because you know this is this is pretty intense, like, and this guy's a seems like a great witness, and 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 he was, um, and so I, I ended up speaking to him over the phone, and and uh, and Emily and I set up a, a time where we could go down there, and um, and and we could. We could speak to him, and, and, and we did. And we spoke to him, and we spoke to his wife, and, and they were nice enough to take us out to the the, the sighting area, and and we looked around uh, uh, Dewfield Pond, and and uh, you know it's it's a sizable uh, uh, natural area. You know, I think it's something like. Hold on, I actually can pull this up. Yeah, it's it's about seventy-eight acres. So I mean, it's not it's not a national forest, right. but it's 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 not nothing. Mm-hmm. And so they, they they took us out there, and we sort of got the, the the lay of the land here. And right across the entrance from from Dewfield Pond, you've basically got uh, like a like one house, and then behind that is the McHenry County uh, Fairgrounds. So we you know got pictures of everything, and and I we uh, we even found a, a potentially anomalous footprint and, and and you might actually appreciate this let me tell you about this weird footprint so so we're out um in in the uh the, the area of the entrance to to Dufield pond and uh and there there are some tracks out there so you can see uh, uh, uh boot prints for one and dog tracks and uh, there are even some like uh what i would guess to be like crane probably like sandhill crane tracks just kind of out there and so like it's 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 a decently trafficked area it's it's not really open right now and it is you know late winter so a ton of people haven't been out there but it looks like some people probably been walking their dogs out here you know Mm -hmm. and so we're, we're walking along and i see this one weird print and i noticed it because it's huge and it was sort of elongated and um and so it's, it's in the ice and so we couldn't really do much with it other than than take a, a, a photograph right which we did of course. Um, and in the photograph, you know you can see its size com- compared to, to to my boot. you know I I, wear, like, I, I I wear a size 12. so you know it's it's easily three or four times the size of, of my foot. and what I noticed about it was that it was in the shape of a, a human footprint. But sort of stretched out and you could see clearly articulated toes. And and, and there's just one print. It's, it's a single print with <laughs> no other matching prints anywhere, you know, any, anywhere near it that, that we could find. And, and the only thing approaching a mundane explanation that I could think of was if somebody had one of those, or you know, maybe not one, they'd probably be wearing both of a set of those uh, barefoot running shoes, you know, because they have the individual toes and everything. And they just happened to be running through Dewfield Pond on this ice and snow in their barefoot running shoes for some some insane reason. And they managed to leave this one print that was then, uh, you know, partially melted and distorted by the sun, which can happen, of course. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Then maybe... But I mean, how likely is that scenario Yeah, in the same area where, you know, this guy reported this uh, a huge bipedal creature wh- wh- that, frankly, for lack of any better description, um, sounds a lot like a Bigfoot with huge, you know, bat wings To to find that single track there. It certainly seemed mysterious to me, and mm-hmm. and like I said, I would have, I would have expected if it was from any other cause to find, I don't know, more more tracks. Like why would why would there just be this this one? But it was interesting. Like it, it was it was definitely it was definitely very strange. Well, um, I,
0: I mean, I can. I can tell you from from the book Josh and I are are working on now. Single tracks are a thing, just right. You know, I I don't know what they mean or why, but they are a thing.
1: Yeah, like well, I I was talking to Jay Bajochin and and he had told me about uh of a, a, a set of tracks that he had found, and it was just a handful of them, and like many others that uh, that, that 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 people have described like they just kind of appeared out of nowhere mm-hmm. and then disappeared back into wherever you know what, what what, whatever bizarre dimension from which they had originated you know but they just sort of start out of nowhere you know go like 12 feet and then disappear back into nowhere
0: yeah
1: um and it's it's just bizarre and so this actually set off sort of a a, a mini flap, which I I, I think I, I had uh, mentioned earlier, and so this actually led to most interestingly that uh, that that police report that I had mentioned before. So, right across the street from the 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 Dufield Pond entrance, like I said, just past this house, in the path this thing was headed, is the McHenry County Fairgrounds, and so. That police report that that I received, it's actually an incident detail report. So it only shows that somebody called 911 because there wasn't like a real investigation or anything because right. the police didn't find a monster when they showed up. Um, so anyway, um, right in the path of where this thing would have been going past this house across the, the street from from uh, Dufield Pond is the McHenry County Sheriff's – I'm sorry, is the McHenry County Fairgrounds where uh, somebody was, was standing outside of the uh, Jewel Osco, and uh, uh, this would have been shortly after this sighting, and um, he sees what he described as basically the exact same thing as 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 this guy, you know, an eight or nine foot tall, hairy hominid, with these huge uh, uh, gargoyle or bat-like wings, these membranous wings, and he said that this thing charged the fence at him before taking off and so he was scared enough to 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 call 911 and uh, and he did i i got a copy of, the, of that incident detail report and it, it it says that things went down exactly as as he described um funny story about that actually like i didn't expect to get that incident detail report like that that second report that which is totally unrelated to this first guy like they have nothing to do with each other other than that. The, the details. Uh, proximity. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: Right. So he'd actually, this, the second witness had actually emailed me. I, I, I have never spoken to this second witness in, in, in real life. Like this other guy, I met him. I met his wife. I've seen their house. They're wonderful people. Uh, the second guy, uh, he emailed me and told me what happened and, and, and said that, um, that you know he had called nine one one or whatever and i was like wow man can i get a, a copy of that police report and also you know can i can i interview you you know and he's like yeah i'll, I'll see what i can do and uh you know like so many other witnesses uh he just just kind of ghosted right
0: mm-hmm. yep and that happens uh, too yeah
1: oh yeah like that happens all the time yeah, and yeah. like so you know i was like okay well he did mention this police report um And so I guess I'll just file a a FOIA request with the McHenry County, uh, sheriff's department. And I did, and they were super nice and got back to me in like three days Wow! and like, yeah. Right. And they were like, here you go. Uh, we don't have an official police report because, you know, like no real investigation was conducted. Um, because there really was no crime committed or anything, mm-hmm. but you know, here's this incident detail report that shows that this guy did call 911, and a sheriff's deputy did respond to the scene and spoke to the the guy who called, and like that, that was it. He took the guy's testimony, and it matched what he told me, and so like that, I that was very very interesting. You know, I mean, one of my personal, uh, uh, basically like how I handle reports that I can't verify or investigate up to my standards is I don't publish them usually. Um, or if I do, uh, I, I I created a, a, a specific column just for them. And so uh, we ended up calling it reports from the void. And it's literally for those reports that we get that, you know, like I said, you know, maybe it's a one off email. Uh, You know, maybe we make it as far as setting up like a phone interview or something and and then the person just disappears. But, you know, I I, I can't publish those as as credible uh, articles. You know, I can't say, hey, this is super important. You guys really need to pay attention to this when I didn't even get to speak to the witness, you know. Right. Right. And so, you know, like we have this 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 specific column for that. And that's where I thought this guy's report was going to go. You know, right up until when I got the actual incident detail report. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. It, uh, it, it certainly seemed to lend a a certain amount of of credibility to that first sighting. Not that it necessarily needed any more than it had. Um, you know, like I said, I speaking to the 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 people involved, they were um, very very credible witnesses. I, well. I guess the, just the guy was the, the the witness, but both of them seemed, you know, very very credible people um, mm-hmm. to, to to my estimation, anyway.
0: Did any of these witnesses report other anomalous activity happening to them around them around the same time that they saw these Mothman creatures?
1: Yeah, that is interesting, um, and there definitely was. Well, there there definitely was some of, of that, um, try to think of a, a specific instance actually where that happened. Uh, now I, I, know I've had, I've had reports I've taken before. Like I, I spoke to a, a lady who saw something very similar to this, but it was out in, in Maryland and, and she afterwards, uh, had experienced, um, a phenomena normally associated with a, a, a haunting, Mm-hmm. Actually, af- afterwards, uh, strangely enough. Now, I would say probably the number one sort of associated paranormal or or, or potentially paranormal uh, uh, phenomena to me is the seemingly unnatural uh, uh, fear that mm-hmm. that people end up feeling um, like a, a good example of that was. Uh, I had a, a, a woman get a hold of me because she wanted to report her father's sighting. Actually, so this was from back in 1976, and so this guy was out uh, pretty late one night, and he's he's helping his his friend uh, who needs him to to jumpstart his car, and sort of an in an isolated spot up in Waukegan, which is sort of far north uh, Chicagoland. And so they're out in this lot, and as her dad is is you know hooking up the the jumper cables, um, he just out of nowhere suddenly feels really really frightened, right? And, uh, he, and he can't explain it, but he 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 starts looking around, and when he does that, then he sees on top of this silo nearby this this black figure, and he describes it as having these glowing red eyes, and. And, um, you know, estimated it to be about six feet tall and, and they didn't really stick around very, very much longer after that. And, uh, and, and they just got out of there without even jumping the the friend's car. They had to go back and get it later. And so that's probably the, the, the number one thing. And I, I I definitely know sort of where you're, you're going with that because uh, like I said, I, I have seen it in a lot of other cases. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's certainly what I would describe as peripheral phenomena associated with this. You know, like there are people who have seen uh, UFO sightings in the same area as, you know, people are seeing these these flying humanoids. Right. Um, you know, we've had, uh, you know, certainly a, a good number of what people are, are describing as pterosaurs. Mm mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: you know, in, in these same areas. Uh, there was a, a particularly active area, uh, out in Indiana where I had, uh, a, a guy contact me about a series of, of glowing orbs that, he, that he had seen out there from, you know, 1981 all the way through 2016. Um, and that was out by uh, a Prairie Creek reservoir. And, and we actually received a good number of credible sightings from that area. So, um, I, you know, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, you know, sort of the, the, you know, uh, maybe continuing like poltergeist or, or, or similar, you know, sort of a paranormal phenomena following them after their, their sighting. But there has been a good number of people like Paula, for instance, who will have, you know, what. I guess could be described as a UFO sighting. I, I I don't know how to categorize her her beam of light, frankly.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some uh, kind of mystery light thing.
1: Right. And then, you know, two years later in the exact same spot she encounters her her monster. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I think that that, that sort of peripheral phenomena is um, seen a lot more in this investigation than the sort of you know uh, uh, following phenomena, right? Right. Like the essentially being you know almost uh, uh, haunted, literally by your sighting. You know where people mm-hmm. will go home and suddenly you know the TV is turning itself on and doors are opening and closing on their own. So haven't heard yet. Yeah, I really haven't heard a whole lot of that with this. And and I can't think of any specific instance, frankly.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, What about you and Emily, as you're out investigating this stuff, do you find that you run into say more synchronicities in your life or just oddness surrounding you as you're doing these investigations?
1: Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely even more than usual. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. So uh, one of the uh, one of the words most often used to describe the the features of of whatever people are seeing is uh, a a gargoyle. Like people like to use that word specifically. Mm -hmm. You know, I after a certain point in this investigation, you know, um, and, you know, maybe some of it was confirmation bias. But, yeah, I mean, I'm seeing gargoyles everywhere. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, we were actually at our, our favorite uh, uh, rock shop and um, and i I forget why we were there in the first place I think Emily was was interested in, in buying something she uh, she she collects crystals and, 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 and things and so you know we were there and uh, you know I was thinking about the uh, in investigation and um, you know sort of different things that uh, uh, you know, I could do to try to sort of maybe expand scope or, or even, well, I mean, frankly, even, you know, uh, precautions we should take or, or, or anything similar. And, uh, and I get up to the counter and there's this little, uh, it's like a, a carved vial, I, I, I guess, as you would describe it. And it's got this gargoyle carved into it. And I was like, are you serious? There's, there's gargoyles everywhere. So I, naturally I, I had to buy this thing. I still have it. And, uh, yeah, I was just like, I need to put some sort of like, I, I don't potion or, or, or something in here, some sort of something meaningful. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, there, 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 there was a lot of that kind of stuff, but, and then sort of beyond that, um, you know, I, I had, uh, some sightings of um, of shadow people, and that's something that has followed me for a lot of my life. But I would say over the course of this investigation, that picked up quite a bit. Uh, there's two notable incidents um, that, well, most notice, uh, most notable, I would say, that occurred during the course of this investigation. The first one, they were both on on our street, uh, and and they were both at night. And so the the first. I, in both cases, actually, I was I was out walking our, our dog, and in the first case, um, I was across the street, and I was about to cross the street to to go to our house, and so I I, uh, I I look over in in the direction of our house, and I see my neighbor sitting on the steps of his of of, of his porch, and I was like, well, maybe he's waiting for for somebody or or something. I don't know. I don't really, I don't feel like talking to anybody right now. So I'm just going to beeline right home. And, and of course, you know, uh, our, our dog is, he's a lot more social than I am, honestly. (laughs) And so if there's people out, like he wants to meet them, you know, maybe they'll pet him. Who knows? And so like we're, we're crossing the street and, and he moves like he's going to go over to the neighbors. And I was like, Oh, of course you are. And so, you know, he's kind of tugging on the, the, the leash and like um, we get up to the curb and uh, and and I look over and he's not sitting there anymore and uh, he couldn't have gone inside, you know, like we're talking about a, a span of a, a, a few seconds. And so it occurs to me that I assumed it was my neighbor, um, but all I really saw was Somebody uh, in shadow, because, you know, there's there wasn't a ton of lights out there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really just like a, a small porch light. So re- what I really saw was somebody in shadow sitting there um, and I didn't make out any 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 more details. You know, it's, it's not like I could see their their face or anything, because I originally thought that, you know, he was sitting there wearing a hoodie with like the, the hood pulled up. Right. So that was weird.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: you know, and, uh, and there was another time where we live sort of halfway up a, a, a hill. And so I was at the bottom of it and I was, you know, out, out walking the, 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 uh, dog again, that's usually my, my job at, at, at night. And so I look up at the top of our, our hill and I see these, these three shadowy figures standing up there and they look like they're wearing these hoods and and robes. And they're, you know, they're, they're, they're standing up there and, you know, I, I couldn't see the details of their face, but I, I, did have this, the, the distinct impression that they were, they were looking, you know, right, right at us. And, and I looked at them for, you know, maybe four or five seconds and, 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 they just disappeared. I, and, and this was right in front of my eyes. Oh, wow. You know? And, uh, you know, there's, there's been stuff like that, uh, that, that's that's definitely picked up oh i well this was kind of weird actually so this would have been maybe a couple of months ago you know i was i was in bed and i was i was having a dream about aliens i don't remember specifically what you know the, the the dream was about it wasn't important it involved aliens and so i i i woke up and uh and i was lying on on my side and i'm facing the wall and um and somebody's shining this bright light like directly into my eyes right it's you know it's it's like if you uh, if you go to the eye doctor and you know like they just shine this super bright light in your eyes mm-hmm. well it, it it was just like that frankly and i was just like who was and i was just like well you know who is shining this this light in my eye uh you know obviously i was i was a little curious about that and as i became consciously aware you know and I I, I, I kind of looked around just with my eyes and as I became consciously aware that yeah I was lying on my side you know, like my eyes are open and somebody is shining this super bright light in them as I'm consciously aware of that I feel myself like almost immediately uh forcefully really like going back to sleep
0: mm, yeah you know mm-hmm um, um I'm, I'm, so, I'm intimately familiar with that feeling.
1: Yeah. And so I was just like, well, this is happening, you know, like it wasn't, wasn't my, my first rodeo, I guess. And so I, uh, um, yeah, I just woke up the, 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 the next day and I, I probably, I, I think I did a social media post about it cause that's what I usually do now, mm-hmm. you know, just like, Hey guys, this happened. I don't know.
0: Right. But right.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's been, I would say, more of that than usual, Mm -hmm. you know, since, since this started.
0: As we're talking about Mothman, of course, we have to bring up Point Pleasant and, Mm -hmm. you know, what may or may not have been the original Mothman, you know, people have been singing winged humanoids since before then, but of course that's certainly the most popular flap of sightings of these, these type things. Do you think there's any connection between, you know, what's happening now around Lake Michigan and what was happening in Point Pleasant?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I absolutely do. Um I think that the uh the the parallels are too distinct to ignore, frankly. You know, people generally are describing I, I mentioned the Wakanda and Woodstock sightings. Um those weren't necessarily Representative of what most people described. Most people described um, a you know six to eight foot tall bat or sometimes bird like humanoid, um, often with with uh, glowing red or orange eyes, and um, you know they would describe this this distinct feeling of fear, like this this mm-hmm. this almost supernatural fear. And you know that's that's a, a a direct correlation with what people were describing in Point Pleasant, uh, you know, in the the sixty I think it was sixty six to sixty seven um, right. uh, Mothman sightings there, you know, and you know this might be an, an unpopular opinion, but um, you know I never was completely on board with the idea of, you know, Mothman as a, a, uh, harbinger, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even, even John Keel, now I, I didn't, I didn't know him personally, but I, you know, I've, I, I know him through his, his work and I, I, I remember reading, you know, about his, his experience and, and sort of what led him to that. And I, I, even after reading his experience, I still didn't understand why people, Necessarily connected, uh, you know, Mothman with the collapse of the Silver Bridge, other than the fact that you know what people really love, like just love more than anything, a nice, tidy narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got you've got these three wonderful acts, uh, you know, and it it finishes up in this really really neat, convenient ending that gives the whole thing meaning. And, you know, can't we all just now go on with our lives pondering occasionally this beautiful mystery? But, like, the fact is, you know, like, yeah, he had said that, you know, he had received, you know, sort of uh, these, these um, nebulous warnings. But, you know, he was anticipating like a, a blackout on, on the, the, the East Coast. You know, like that was the 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 big disaster that right. that was that was supposed to happen, and obviously that never happened. Um, and then the the Silver Bridge collapsed, and you know suddenly it was like, oh no, it was supposed to be that thing. <laughs> that was the thing all along, guys. Come on, right? But yeah, no, I don't think it was. I uh, I, I think, like I said, I, I think that it provided a nice tidy ending to the the narrative. Uh, but unfortunately, life, you know. Life doesn't work that way. Like we don't often get neat endings. Right. Um, and our earliest case that that we've received the the earliest historical case is is from 1969. And so, really, there isn't a gap of more than you know of a, a, a few years, less than a a, a decade between these historical sighting reports. um, And I, you know, I think if we could go back in time and, and, um, and, you know, invent the uh, internet several decades earlier, uh, we could probably fill in a lot of these gaps. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it certainly seems like rather than than suddenly ending, really more of just sort of shifted into another area less than you know 500 miles away like it, it because this earliest report is actually from indiana so it's really not it's not even that far away from point pleasant you know it, it really is just a, a a few hundred miles away and less than than two years later uh the the phenomenon seems to have uh, uh begun around lake michigan um I don't know the, the, the reason for that.
0: Right. Right. Tobias, tell me about singular 40 and society.
1: Sure. Uh, so the singular 40 and society, um, was founded by, uh, my wife, Emily and, uh, me back in, uh, 2016. And we, uh, you know, investigate the, the paranormal and try to deliver, um, the uh news to 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 people specific like specifically to a a paranormal audience you know so you'll you'll see the the news um you know maybe covering ufos and they'll play the x files theme and it's a huge joke and the same with ghosts and and and, encrypteds and everything else and so what we wanted to do was to you know cover these subjects journalistically um for people who take them seriously and, you know, to that end, like, we do a, a fair bit of investigation. Uh, we write a lot of news articles. We also do feature articles, uh, you know, monster profiles, stuff that uh, that can be a little more – well, I'll say it's uh, it, it can be less dry maybe than just, you know, like the straight news. Um, but anyway, we, we, we do all of that stuff. And uh, anybody who's interested in it, and, you know, hopefully you are – Uh, can find uh, our website at singularfortian.com. You can also find the Singular Fortian Society on every social media platform. So Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. Uh, If there are other ones that we should know about that aren't for, like, tweens, you should tell us, (laughs) and we'll join those too. Um, And if you like what we're doing enough that you want to be a part of it, uh, you can join the Singular Fortian Society. Uh, you know, there's links for that on our website, or you can go to uh, patreon.com slash Uh If you enjoy the Lake Michigan Mothman and you want to learn more about it, then uh, the Lake Michigan Mothman High Strangeness in the Midwest uh, is available right now on Amazon. Um, now, I don't want to embarrass her, but Emily did an amazing job uh on the cover art for this in the design and the layout and and everything else it is a beautiful book so writing aside this is one i think people would you know would be proud to have on on their their bookshelf so you can get that through amazon um you know it's easy enough to just go to the search bar and look for the lake michigan mothman otherwise uh, we do have a link to it on our site
0: Awesome. Again, the book's The Lake Michigan Mothman, High Strangers in the Midwest. It's by Tobias Whelan. Tobias, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for spending tonight with me talking about uh, Mothman and other weirdness.
1: Thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. I do want to thank Eric C. for his generous PayPal donation. Thank you so much, Eric. Eric makes regular PayPal donations, which helps a great deal with continuing to make Strange Familiars. So thank you again, Eric. Just a reminder, you can always find us at strangefamiliars.com. We will be back soon with another episode of Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Darkhollerarts.com Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more, where you can also find Wildness Geist. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars gathering group. And we are on Instagram, at Strange Familiars.
2: Hey, Tim. This is Dex from New York. I'm a patron and love, love, love listening to Strange Familiars. But uh, some interesting things I wanted to share with you. I have a lot of weird stories, but um, so does my mom. Uh, She's going to be 98 years old in December. And she shared more things with me than any of my other siblings, I guess, because I'm just more open to the crazy subjects that we all like to hear about. But um years ago, well, I should also say, uh, she has also crazy experiences. Um She and my father met uh, on a secret base during World War II. They were part of the Manhattan Project, so it's not a secret base anymore, but they were a part of the Manhattan Project out in Los Alamos, New Mexico. That just leads to other sort of interesting historical stories, but also some weird ones. But anyway, this happened... Uh, to my mom when she was about 12 or 13 and we were just talking about things recently. And, uh, I remembered the story that she told me that one day, uh, one morning when she was about 12 or 13, uh, just outside of uh, Philadelphia, she woke up, she said, and there were these three little guys, three little men, she called them in her, in her bedroom. They weren't paying attention to her. They, she said they were just sort of standing over, uh, away from the bed. Looking like they were having a conversation. And, um, she couldn't hear them, but they were clearly communicating with each other. And she, she said she saw them. She sat up in bed, looked at them, and blinked her eyes because she thought maybe she was still dreaming and, and, you know, if she blinked that they would go away, but she blinked a bunch of times and they were still there. Again, m- maybe noticing her but really more interested in their own conversation and um, she screamed and then shortly after that both my grandparents ran into the room she told them what had happened and they took her out of the bedroom and put her in their room for the rest of the, uh, the morning and then strangely Without talking about it at all, by the end of the day, they had moved her out of that bedroom and put her in the room where her other brothers slept and then put the brothers in in her room. Strange that um, my grandparents, without talking to her at all about anything, just immediately after this incident, they switched her to a different room. I remember when she told me that story. And they never talked about it again. But she told me in confidence this story. And I'm, it's okay for me to tell it now. But she, I, I was probably eight or nine years old when she told me this story. Cause I, we were talking about like UFOs and uh, ghosts and all kinds of things. And she said she was telling me about this experience. And uh, it came up again recently. I wanted to know maybe a little bit more about it. And I said, do you remember what, what they looked like? And. You know, and she said, "Well, they were just little men." She said, "You know, they didn't look, you know, that strange, but just looked like little men." With she said, they had funny hats that were scrunched on on their head. And I asked her, um, "You know, did they, they? What did their faces look like?" She said, "Well, they they just kind of looked old." But then she said, "I said." I asked her, "Do you do you remember like anything about what they were wearing?" And she said, "Yeah, they were wearing plaid shirts." And I was like, "No, they weren't. No way." And um, and she said, "Yeah, it was funny. They were they were just wearing plaid. And they weren't menacing. They weren't giving me any problems, but but they were just there, and that's what freaked her out." And then she began to realize how weird it was that my grandparents without talking about it without questioning her just moved her to a different room which leads me to believe that they must have either had some kind of other experiences in that house uh, or knew something and I remember you know going to visit my grandparents when I was a little kid not liking being at the top of the stairs uh, there's a bat you come at to the top of the stairs there's a bathroom straight ahead The room that she experienced that in was directly on the left, and then the the room that they moved her to was sort of back down the other hallway, one room. And that's where they moved her. And they moved the boys, my uncles, into the the room where the little guys were. Anyway, the important thing here is that she never brought this up before because I never thought to ask. But she, she without me prompting her, I didn't tell her anything about strange familiars. She said they were wearing plaid shirts these little guys. And so I thought you needed to know that for obvious reasons. I have other stories, which hopefully uh, I'll get to share with you sometime, but uh, that blew me away when she brought up unprompted that these guys were wearing plaid. So I hope you and your family and your lovely wife and your children are having a happy Thanksgiving and thank you so much for all you do on Strange Familiars. Take care.
1: On that moon at
2: Of my hymn In joy and woe
0: In good and ill, Mother of God Be with me still
2: When the hours Were brightly by